Welcome to The World According to AI, the podcast where we explore the incredible capabilities and potential of artificial intelligence. Over the course of this series, we will showcase a wide range of examples of what AI is capable of, from story writing and joke telling to providing scientific facts and insights. You may be amazed at the level of complexity and nuance that AI is able to achieve, and you may also be left wondering about the limits of its capabilities. Join us as we delve into the world of AI and consider the possibilities and implications of this rapidly advancing technology. Hi, this is Bryce Peterson. So what's going on with this podcast is I'm interacting with the chat GPT on OpenAI. And I'm the one giving the inputs, asking the questions, and all the responses are completely coming back from the AI engine. So all the stories, occasionally I'll get some jokes in there. I tell it I want it to tell a joke and it'll tell a joke, even though some of them aren't funny. Um, the fact that they're not funny actually makes them really funny for some reason. Um, but yeah, these are just questions that I've had, scenarios that I've come up with, and then we get to see what the AI engine comes back with, and it's pretty interesting. What is the difference between AI and what we know as traditional software? AI Artificial intelligence is a type of computer software that is designed to exhibit intelligent behavior, such as learning and problem-solving. Traditional software, on the other hand, is designed to perform specific tasks or functions according to a predetermined set of instructions. Some key differences between AI and traditional software include Adaptability, AI is designed to adapt and learn over time, while traditional software follows a fixed set of instructions. This means that AI can improve its performance and capabilities as it processes more data and experiences, while traditional software cannot. Autonomy, AI systems are often designed to be autonomous, meaning they can operate independently without human intervention. Traditional software, on the other hand, requires human input to function. Problem solving, AI is often used to solve complex problems that are difficult or impossible for humans to solve on their own, while traditional software is designed to perform specific tasks or functions. Machine learning, AI systems can learn from data and experience, while traditional software does not have this capability. Overall, AI represents a significant departure from traditional software in terms of its ability to adapt, learn, and solve complex problems. While traditional software is designed to perform specific tasks according to a predetermined set. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the more interesting historical nuggets that I picked up when I was in elementary school a long time ago was the volcanic eruption that decimated Pompeii in Italy. And I thought I would revisit that topic and see what AI could remind me about it and what more I could learn about it.
What do we know about the volcanic eruption of Pompeii? The volcanic eruption of Pompeii was a catastrophic event that occurred in the year 79 AD when Mount Vesuvius, a stratovolcano located near the Bay of Naples in Italy, erupted. The eruption buried the ancient Roman city of Pompeii and the neighboring town of Herculaneum in ash and pumice, killing an estimated 16,000 people. The eruption began in the afternoon of August 24, 79 AD, with a massive explosion that sent a column of ash, pumice, and other volcanic material high into the air. This was followed by pyroclastic flows, fast-moving clouds of hot ash, pumice, and gas, that swept down the slopes of the volcano, engulfing the towns of Pompeii and Herculaneum. The ash and pumice that fell from the sky quickly covered the towns, preserving them in a state of suspended animation for almost 2,000 years. The eruption of Mount Vesuvius is one of the most famous volcanic eruptions in history, and the remains of Pompeii and Herculaneum are now major tourist attractions. The ash and pumice that covered the towns have helped to preserve many of the buildings, artifacts, and even the bodies of the people who died in the eruption. The site has provided archaeologists with a unique opportunity to study the daily lives of people in ancient Rome and has given us a glimpse into the past that would not have been possible otherwise. What do we know about daily life in Pompeii in the year 79 AD? Pompeii was a thriving Roman city located on the Bay of Naples in Italy. It was home to a diverse population of around 20,000 people, including merchants, artisans, slaves, and the wealthy elite. Daily life in Pompeii was centered around the city's forum, which was the hub of political, social, and economic life. The forum was surrounded by a number of important buildings, including the Basilica, a law court, the Temple of Apollo, and the Temple of Jupiter. There were also a number of shops, taverns, and brothels in the area. Pompeii was known for its sophisticated water supply system, which included a number of aqueducts, reservoirs, and cisterns. The city also had a number of public baths, which were used for both hygiene and socializing. Pompeii was also home to a number of amphitheaters and theaters, where people could watch plays, gladiator games, and other entertainment. There were also a number of public gardens and parks where people could relax and enjoy the outdoors. In general, life in Pompeii was much like life in any other Roman city of the time. People went about their daily routines, working, socializing, and participating in the city's political and cultural life. The eruption of Mount Vesuvius in 79 AD, however, changed all of that, destroying the city and killing thousands of people in the process. What evidence supports the existence of theaters and amphitheaters in Pompeii in 79 AD? There is abundant evidence to support the existence of theaters and amphitheaters in Pompeii in 79 AD. The remains of several theaters and amphitheaters have been found in the city, and many of the buildings are well-preserved due to the ash and pumice that covered the city during the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in 79 AD. One of the best-known amphitheaters in Pompeii is the Amphitheater of Pompeii, which was built around 70 BC and could hold around 20,000 spectators. The amphitheater was used for gladiator games and other entertainment, and it is one of the oldest and best-preserved amphitheaters in the world. The city also had several theaters, including the large theater and the small theater, both of which were used for plays and other performances. 
The remains of these theatres can still be seen today, and they provide valuable insights into the entertainment and cultural life of the people of Pompeii in 79 AD. In addition to the physical remains of the theatres and amphitheatres, there is also written evidence of their existence. Literary sources from the time, including the writings of Pliny the Younger, mention the theatres and amphitheatres in Pompeii, and inscriptions and graffiti found in the city also attest to their existence. All of this evidence supports the conclusion that theatres and amphitheatres were an important part of daily life in Pompeii in 79 AD. What do we know about the water supply system in Pompeii in 79 AD? The water supply system in Pompeii in 79 AD was quite sophisticated and allowed the city to support a population of around 20,000 people. The city was located near the Bay of Naples and had access to a number of freshwater springs and rivers, which provided a reliable source of water. To distribute the water throughout the city, Pompeii had a number of aqueducts, which were channels or pipelines that carried water from its source to the city. The water was then stored in reservoirs or cisterns, which were located throughout the city. From there, it was distributed to the homes and public buildings of Pompeii through a network of pipes. The water supply system in Pompeii was designed to meet the needs of the city's residents, and it included a number of public fountains, which were used for both drinking and washing. There were also a number of public baths, which were used for both hygiene and socializing. The baths were heated by furnaces and had hot, warm, and cold rooms, as well as facilities for exercise and relaxation. Overall, the water supply system in Pompeii in 79 AD was an impressive achievement, and it played a vital role in the daily lives of the city's residents. The remains of the aqueducts, reservoirs, and cisterns can still be seen today, providing valuable insights into the infrastructure and technology of the ancient Roman world. So I figured I'd do a little problem solving for my friend Jared Weiss. See, he used to do a lot of surfing. He's also exceedingly good at chess. I figured, hey, what if he decides to do these things at the same time? He's going to need to have an approach, and I think AI can help. five tips for playing chess with a grandmaster while surfing. Focus on the game. Surfing can be a thrilling and distracting activity, but it's important to stay focused on the chess game at hand. Keep your mind on the board and try to block out any distractions. Make a plan. Before you start surfing, come up with a strategy for the chess game. Consider what openings and tactics you want to use, and think about how you can anticipate and counter your opponent's moves. Practice chess-specific physical skills. To be able to play chess well while surfing, you'll need to develop some specific physical skills. For example, you'll need to be able to move the chess pieces accurately while riding a wave, and you'll need to be able to concentrate and focus while being bounced around. Train your mind and body. In addition to practicing physical skills, it's also important to train your mind and body to handle the mental and physical demands of playing chess while surfing. This could include practicing meditation or other mental focus techniques, as well as physical conditioning exercises. Have fun! While it's important to take the chess game seriously, it's also important to remember to have fun. Surfing and chess can both be enjoyable activities, so try to embrace the unique challenge of combining them.
How was Saturn discovered? The planet Saturn was discovered by the ancient Greeks and Romans, who named it after the Roman god Saturn. However, it was not until the invention of the telescope in the early 17th century that Saturn's rings and moons were first observed and documented. In 1610, the astronomer Galileo Galilei was the first to observe Saturn through a telescope and he described it as having ears on either side of the planet. However, at the time, he was unable to fully understand what he was seeing and it was not until later that the true nature of Saturn's rings was understood. In 1655, the Dutch mathematician and astronomer Christian Huygens used a more powerful telescope to study Saturn and was the first to accurately describe the planet's rings. He also discovered Saturn's largest moon, Titan, which is the second largest moon in the solar system. Since then, Saturn has been studied extensively by astronomers and space probes, and we have learned much more about this fascinating planet and its many moons and rings. What do we know about Saturn's moon, Titan? Titan is the largest moon of Saturn and the second largest moon in the solar system, after Jupiter's moon Ganymede. It is the only moon in the solar system known to have a thick atmosphere, which is primarily composed of nitrogen and methane. The atmosphere is also hazy, due to the presence of photochemically produced hydrocarbons. Titan is also the only known body in the solar system other than Earth to have stable bodies of surface liquid, which are thought to be composed of methane and ethane. These lakes and seas are found primarily at high latitudes on the moon's surface. Titan's surface is cold and dry, with a temperature averaging about minus 180 degrees Celsius, minus 292 degrees Fahrenheit. The moon's surface is also covered in a layer of water ice, which is thought to be several kilometers thick in some areas. Titan's atmosphere is denser than Earth's, with surface pressures about 50% higher. The moon's atmosphere also lacks oxygen, which makes it inhospitable to life as we know it. Titan has a number of interesting features, including mountains, dunes, and a system of channels and valleys that are thought to be the result of the erosion of surface materials by liquid methane and ethane. Several spacecraft have visited Titan, including the Cassini-Huygens mission, which conducted a detailed study of the moon between 2004 and 2017. These missions have provided valuable insights into the moon's atmosphere, surface features, and potential for the presence of prebiotic chemical processes. All right, so when it comes to these stories, really the sky's the limit. You tell it what you want the story to be about, give it some anchoring details, so to speak, and then it'll come up with the rest of it. So when it comes to the stories, if you compare the amount of text that I provided and the amount of text that came back, it's about a four to one ratio there. So I put in about 25% of the input in terms of how much text versus output you get so you do have to steer it a bit to come up with something but it'll come back with some interesting stuff so it's kind of like pulling pulling the lever metaphorical lever on the gambling machine and seeing what you get Once upon a time, 
Deep in the heart of the ocean, there lived a cow named Carl who had always dreamed of scuba diving. Carl was no ordinary cow, he was curious, adventurous, and loved nothing more than a good slice of chocolate cake. So, one day, Carl decided to put on his scuba gear and set off on a journey to the bottom of the ocean in search of the perfect chocolate cake. As he swam deeper and deeper into the vast expanse of the ocean, Carl encountered all sorts of amazing creatures. He saw schools of colorful fish, octopuses with tentacles as long as his legs, and even a giant, friendly sea turtle. But Carl was not deterred. He was determined to find the perfect chocolate cake, no matter what obstacles lay in his path. As he swam on, he came across a shipwreck, covered in seaweed and barnacles. Undeterred, Carl swam through the narrow corridors of the sunken vessel, searching for any clues that might lead him to his beloved chocolate cake. Finally, after what felt like hours of searching, Carl stumbled upon a treasure chest. Excitedly, he opened the chest to find a chocolate cake. Overjoyed, Carl carefully lifted the cake out of the chest and swam back to the surface, where his wife was waiting for him. Together, Carl and his wife enjoyed the most delicious chocolate cake they had ever tasted, sharing it with all of their sea-dwelling friends. And from that day on, Carl was known as the bravest and most adventurous cow in the ocean, always ready for a new adventure and a slice of chocolate cake. The End It was a busy holiday season at the mall, and Santa Claus was working hard to make sure all the good boys and girls got the presents they wanted. But with all the hustle and bustle, Santa got a little turned around and soon found himself lost in the mall. He wandered up and down the corridors, trying to find his way back to the North Pole, but no matter which way he turned, he couldn't seem to find his way out. Just when he was about to give up hope, a penguin dressed in a prisoner's uniform waddled up to him. What are you doing here, little penguin? Santa asked, surprised to see a penguin in the mall. I just broke out of prison, the penguin replied. But don't worry, I'm not a bad penguin. I just wanted to see the world and have some adventures. Santa was skeptical, but he figured he had nothing to lose by letting the penguin lead the way. So, he followed the penguin as it waddled through the mall, dodging security guards and evading capture. Finally, after what felt like hours of wandering, they stumbled upon the exit and Santa was able to make his way back to the North Pole. And from that day on, Santa always made sure to bring the penguin a special present on Christmas, as a thank you for helping him find his way out of the mall. The End And who hasn't wondered whose birthday party skills are better, Voldemort or Batman? I've always wondered that, you've always wondered that. Now we get to see what AI thinks about it. It is difficult to determine who would throw the more enjoyable birthday party, as this would depend on a wide range of factors, including the preferences and interests of the party guests, the theme of the party, and the specific activities and amenities that are provided. In general, Batman is likely to throw a more action-packed and energetic party, with a focus on superhero-themed activities and games. He might also provide a range of high-tech gadgets and equipment for the guests to use and enjoy. On the other hand, Voldemort is likely to throw a more sinister and mysterious party, with a focus on dark magic and otherworldly themes. 
He might provide a range of magical activities and experiences for the guests to participate in, as well as refreshments and decorations with a dark and gothic aesthetic. Ultimately, the success of a birthday party depends on the preferences and interests of the party guests and the ability of the host to provide a fun and engaging experience. It is not possible to make a general assessment of who would throw the more enjoyable party without more information about the specific guests and the party theme. So I hope you enjoyed this. I plan on doing an episode about once a week for the foreseeable future because it's really not that hard to interact with AI and I have a lot of questions. Maybe you do too, so we'll dig into some science, some history, some social maladies perhaps, and complete and utter nonsense, which is my favorite thing. So looking forward to doing more of this. Hope you have a great day.